Well, good morning, everyone. I guess a little bit about me before I get started. Uh, so my name is Patrick, and I'm married to, to Colleen and have a five-month-old baby, Isaiah. We call him Izzy. And they're sad they couldn't be here this morning, but um, they'll be, they will be hearing Steve Ford preaching at God's Word down at Ball and, and being, being built up through, through his ministry. Um, I've been pastor at Bort Baptist for two years now. I think I actually arrived in Bort like two years ago yesterday, I think. And I enjoy seeing God work through his word. And that's what, that's what, uh, that's what pushes me on as, as I, in my ministry as I seek to, to preach the word of God. And we're going to get into that now. And I feel adequately prayed for, so I won't pray myself before the sermon. We're just going to get right into it. Now, it always makes the news, doesn't it? When some important person visits Australia, you're going to see it on the, on the front page of the papers or, or on the six o'clock news. Say it's a, a world leader or a, a royalty or a, a famous singer. News crews are going to flock to the scene. They're going to be stalking them as they get off the aeroplane. And every now and then, that person is a religious leader. So I remember that when the Dalai Lama last visited Australia, and that was nine years ago. And I was watching news reports at the time, and I thought to myself, well, the news media has never sounded so religious. The secular news. The way, the way they talk about this guy, they go, well, his holiness will be going here, or his holiness will be meeting this person. His holiness said this, his, his holiness over and over again. Secular people using the word holy. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not a word you often hear the average Australian saying. If you do, it might be in a sarcastic way. They might say, well, you church people are holier than thou. They want to talk about smug, self-righteous, religious people. Or maybe if they're using the word holy, they might be talking about their own sort of religion that's not a religion but kind of is. Like They might talk about the holy ground of the MCG. But usually, you won't, people, you won't hear people use that word, holy. But you do see that word holy in 1 Corinthians. In fact, that's how it starts off. So today, what we're going to encounter is a holy church. And if you know 1 Corinthians... Maybe you just raise an eyebrow there, but we'll move on. The church is made and kept holy by God's grace. Made and kept. Church made and kept holy by God's grace. So we'll look at the made first. The church is made holy by God's grace. We're reading in verse 2, and we hear about the recipients of this letter. It says, to the church of God in Corinth, a Greek city, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. Now, if that was all we had, we might start to think very highly of the Corinthian church. It says they are sanctified. They're a church of saints. This sounds like the ideal church. But let me fast forward a bit for a, for a little bit of context. When you read the whole letter, you see that the Corinthian church had a number of problems. So you see there was infighting. 
You see their church services were chaos. You see them pigging out at the Lord's Supper. You see some of the church members suing others in the church. Some were seeing prostitutes. Some were going to church on Sunday and pagan temples on Monday. You've got one guy sleeping with his stepmother. I've just counted seven there, and there's more. All these problems. And that is what makes verse 2 so utterly shocking. Because Paul still says to them, you are the church of God. You are sanctified. You are saints. How can this be? Well, it's because the church is made holy entirely by God's grace. So the Corinthians, let's, let's look at those three things. The church of God sanctified saints. The Corinthians are the church of God. And when that of there, it's talking about belonging. You could just as well say God's church in Corinth. This church belongs to God. It is his special Possession. They can say, we are his people, as we sung before. And you might say, well, the Corinthians are not acting like God's people at the moment. And that is true. But that doesn't change the fact that they are his church. God accepted them by his grace because of his sheer kindness and not because of anything good in them. Again, we sung that before, didn't we? Saved by grace, not of works. Or boasting. They're saved by grace and they remain by his grace. And so Paul's told us who the Corinthian church is, but who are the Corinthian believers? Well, that's the next little phrase we've got. It says they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And when we hear that word sanctify, it might sound like a big fancy word, but it's actually the same word that we've just encountered before. It just means to make holy. Because of Jesus, they are holy, they are sanctified. And you think, you know, after all those problems, can it really be? Yes. But we've got to talk about what holiness means. Because when we think holy, our minds first go to being righteous. It's about To be holy means to be a morally good person. And that's part of it. But there's more to it. So in the Bible, there's three ways that you can be called holy. The, the first way you can be holy is you can be God, which we can't be. God is holy, holy, holy. That's the first way. But the second is that we can be near God. Let's take an example from the Old Testament. The Old Testament temple had various utensils. There were, there were bowls and jars and pots and other items. And it says that in Exodus and Leviticus and all those other sorts of books that these items are holy. That's, that's weird. Like, is that, is, that, is that pot, is that a good person? Like, how does that work? Well, it's not because it's morally good, because, but because, because it is set aside for God's use. It's near God. It can only be used for the worship of God in the temple. So that means that the priests can't take one of those pots from the temple, bring it home, and stash some cookies in it. It can only be used for God. It's near God. That's the second way. The third way is the way that we are more familiar with. To be holy is to be like God, what we normally mean, morally good, righteous, like the holy God. 
So there's the three ways. You can, to be holy, you can be God, you can be near God, or you can be like God. And we think about that as it relates to the Corinthians. They're not being like God holy, aren't they? At least the majority of them. But they are near God holy. In spite of everything, they still belong to God. They are still set apart for him. And that is a fixed reality. Even if they're not living it up to, if they're not living up to that at the moment. Because it's all of God's grace. Now, in the next breath, Paul doubles down on this. He says that they are called to be saints. Or other translations will say he's he's holy people. It's the same idea. And this might be counterintuitive to us. In, In some church traditions, and this includes the church tradition that I was raised in, in those, in those, uh, in that way of thinking, saint means a super Christian. You have to be to be a saint. You have to be in that point, top point, oh one percent of Christians. It's like a, an order of Australia medal. Like, if you've done something particularly special for your country, you might get an OAM. You're still Australian if you don't have that, but you can be a super Australian. If you get Citizen of the Year or an Order of Australia Medal or something like that. So you can be an Australian or you can be a super Australian. And so some people think, well, you can be a Christian or you can be a super Christian, a saint. That's what many think. But in the New Testament, every single believer is called a saint. Every believer is one of God's holy ones, even the Corinthians from the most distinguished to the most ordinary, from the most faithful to the one who struggles most. To be a saint, it's not something that we earn by our religious achievements or our moral goodness. It's a gift. It is a status that God gives us. Once again, it's all of grace. The church is made holy by God's grace. That's how he open, that's how Paul opens his letter, and that's how he continues. So moving on, he's got the, the, the hello, the greeting section, verses 1 to 3, and then in verse 4, he writes a prayer, and he says, I always thank God for you. And again, knowing the problems in Corinth, we, we might have started that prayer a bit differently. We might have said, oh God, help me sort this lot out. Lord, why have you stuck me with this unruly mob? But Paul, Paul thanks God. He genuinely thanks God because God is at work in that church. I thank God because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. This is God's saving grace to that church. He has opened their hearts to a saving knowledge of Jesus. He's opened the doors of heaven to them. He's rescued them from sin and death. Paul thanks God for the salvation he's given them. And he also thanks God for the spiritual gifts he's given them. He says, you've been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts, Paul will talk about that later in 1 Corinthians And again, you might think, well, not something to be thankful for because they're abusing those gifts. But still God has given them those gifts. 
And so Paul thanks God for that. So as chaotic and messy as this church is, in spite of all their problems, God's grace is still with them. They still belong to him. They are still saints. They are still his holy people. Because that is what grace is all about. The essence of the gospel is that God does not accept us because of our righteousness. We have not got any righteousness to offer him. He accepts us in spite of our dark and ugly sinfulness. It's entirely of his grace, his kindness to unworthy people. And so that means that churches are holy. I can, I've, never, I've never worshipped with you before, but I can come up the highway from Bort knowing that I'm coming to another community of saints. I'm going to worship with another holy church because that's what the scriptures tells me is true. Churches are holy and believers are holy. So if you are a Christian, you are holy. That might sound like a self-righteous thing to say, but it's not because it's not saying how good you are. It's saying how good God is, that he would even take a sinner like you or me for himself, to belong to him, to be near him. Now, of course, there there are Christians who are Christians in name only. That's the sad reality. And there are are churches that have, have abandoned the gospel, another sad reality. But where the gospel is faithfully and sincerely believed, there you will find faithful people where you find holy people and holy churches. That's you. That's me. That's us. But not only is the church made holy by God's grace, it's kept holy by God's grace. So Paul continues his prayer and he looks to the future. And if you've read 1 Corinthians before, maybe you you wonder about, well, how, how will things end up for the Corinthians? Will they just keep getting worse? Will they make it to the end? Will they stand firm in their faith? But Paul has confidence in God. He says, as the Corinthians wait for Jesus to be revealed, second coming, Paul can say this, verse 8, Jesus will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God has claimed them by his grace and he will keep them by his grace. It's as if they've got a marathon to run. And God has promised that he will make sure they finish this marathon, all 42 kilometers. They might faint along the way. They might get lost. They might trip over. And they have. But God will bring them to the end. In fact, he will make sure the Corinthians stand blameless on the day of Christ, blameless. And we might wonder, well, what's blameless mean? And I think there's two parts to that. On the one hand, we might think in this life, to be blameless in this life means that there's no glaring, unrepentant sin. Like It's not as if we can get rid of sin entirely, but where it is found is something we're actively fighting, where we're growing, we're making progress in holiness, like a God, holy. But then the other... Another way of thinking about it is after this life, 
we are going to be blameless in an even greater sense. We will be completely free of sin. We will not even have a passing sinful thought. We will be completely holy. So God has promised to keep us blameless for when we stand before Christ. And you want to, that's a promise. It's a promise from God's word. And verse 9 says that God keeps his promises. It says that God is faithful. When he says that he will do something, he will do it. It's a promise for you. That's a promise for me. The church is made and kept holy entirely by God's grace. Grace that he gives us in Jesus. I wonder if you notice how many times Jesus' name pops up in that passage. I just want to have a little quick count there. Nine verses. I wonder how many times you think. Any, anyone want to feel like shouting out how many times? I, I would give you enough time to actually properly do it, but any guesses? Any guesses? Twelve? Pretty close. It's nine. Nine times in nine verses, Jesus' name comes up. It feels like Jesus has a lot to do with the fact that we are holy. And it's true. We know that, don't we? Because it's Jesus' death. It's Jesus' resurrection. It is Jesus' mighty works of salvation that make that possible, that make that happen. It's Jesus who opens the door for us to come near to God and to be increasingly made like God. So when we say that the church is made and kept holy by God's grace, we can praise Jesus for that. Now, this makes a huge difference in our lives. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes how we see other Christians. And it changes how we look at other churches as well. So firstly, ourselves. And sometimes we look at our relationship with God as an in and out thing. We think, you know, I'm having a good day as a Christian. I'm, I'm prayerful. I'm kind to others. I'm in. Me and God, we're, we're good. He accepts me. I feel a bit holier today. And then the next day, we have a bad one. And all of a sudden, I'm out. I'm, I'm not holy anymore. God's grumpy at me. I don't think he wants to see me at the moment. In and out. That's how we Think about it. But then 1 Corinthians comes along and drops a bomb of God's grace on us. You are mine, God's saying. You are holy. This is telling us who we are. It's telling us our identity. Because of Jesus, we are holy. That is our permanent, irrevocable status. We don't have to earn that. It is an irreversible gift of God. Our identity is secure. We are saints. Do you know who the fifth in line to the British throne is? You probably know that William is number one. But what about the rest of the pecking order? Or you go two, three, four, that's William's three kids. And then Prince five. I wonder wonder if you'll be surprised by this is Prince Harry, still. And you go, well, I thought he, I thought he gave up his royal privileges. I thought, I thought he did all of this naughty stuff. 
and sure. But in spite of that, none of that has rubbed him out of royal succession. He's still in. Apparently only an act of parliament can actually get him kicked out. So think about that. We might still have King Harry one day. Yeah, get excited. And none of the Corinthians' shenanigans got them kicked out. Only by giving up following Jesus could they miss out. So when we are doubting whether or not God accepts us, whether or not we are part of the family, whether or not our saintly identity remains, when we sin and we feel as if our holy status is threatened, remember God's grace. Because God defines who we are, not our sin. We are holy. But also, when we remember that, that will help us to actually grow more holy, like God, holy. Because when we remember who we are, that shapes how we live. Let's pick one of the other royals. Let's forget about Harry for now. Let's talk about Prince George, William's firstborn. And many of you will remember when he was first born, which was about 10 years ago now. And the papers were going crazy for it. Future King of England. And he had all this attention. He was born a prince. And nothing can take that from him. It's secure. But being a prince, having that status, that matters for how he behaves. There's more expectation on him. If he pulls a funny face at some big event, that's going in the papers. There's more expectation on him because of his status. He not only is a prince, but he has to act like a prince. We are holy. And when we remember that, that reminds us that we need to live holy. It inspires us. In other words, be who you already are in Christ. Be who you are. Let your identity shape the way you live. Because holiness is who you are. Embrace it. When you face temptation, remember who you are. Sin is not who you are. It does not define you. Jesus defines you when you have some opportunity to do good. Remember who you are. Good deeds are fitting for a holy person, and that is you. But not only does the gospel change the way we see ourselves, it changes the way we see other believers. So we see a fellow Christian acting not as a Christian should. You know, we've all seen that. We've all been that. But when we see that, We might have different thoughts running through our minds. On the one hand, we might be tempted to look down on them. We go, oh, look at them making stupid, ungodly decisions. I'm glad I'm not like that. How does God see them, though? Because if they belong to him, he says, sanctified, holy, saint, just like you. A sinner and a saint at the same time. On the other hand, we might start worrying about them, and that's, that's a much more godly reaction rather than judging them. We might start worrying about their spiritual health, worrying about their soul, and that's when we can grab onto this promise in verse 8 that God will keep them to the end. 
Because if this person truly belongs to Jesus, he will make sure they get to the end, holy and blameless. They are holy, and he will keep them holy. And this same principle applies if church gets messy. You know, there can be seasons of discouragement in church life. It feels like there's a big list of things going wrong, ways the church is failing to follow Jesus. And sometimes when that happens, it's because we're making it a bigger deal in our heads than it really is. Maybe we're lacking perspective. But then again, sometimes we're right. And in those situations, it might be tempting to move churches or even to give up on church altogether, give up on each other. If we come to that place of discontent with church, remember Corinth. There were, there were people in the Corinthian church who were discouraged at how things were going. These are the ones that are telling Paul all the problems. And maybe they were tempted to wonder if it's really a true church. Maybe they wanted to split off, start fresh, start their own church. But instead, they're told that this is still God's church. And you know what? That means something. It is still the assembly of God's holy people. Yes, maybe things have to change, but don't give up. God's church is worth persevering with. Now, it's true there are times when a church abandons the gospel, and that's a different situation. But if that point hasn't come, then we need to keep clinging to verse 2. This is still God's church. But maybe it's not our own church that we're tempted to look down on. Maybe, maybe it's other churches. Maybe one church looks down the road and says, well, that church has shallow Bible teaching. And then that church looks back and says, well, that church doesn't do enough for the poor. And then they both look at a third church and go, well, they might split in a few weeks. Tut, tut. And then they all look at each other and say, your music is terrible and you're wrong about baptism. Now, maybe those criticisms are all true. Maybe not. But if the gospel is still truly preached there, then you have a true church. It is still a holy assembly of saints. You might still have our critiques. You know, you could do this better or that or whatever. But when we understand what Paul is saying here, maybe we can appreciate God's grace within that church a bit more. Maybe that can soften our attitude towards them. Maybe that should remind us of the unity we have with them. They are sinning saints, just like us. And Jesus is their Lord as well as ours. So we are made and kept holy entirely by God's grace. Now, at Bort, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians for several months now, and we're about two-thirds of the way through. And let me tell you, that was a messy church. But you know what? The Corinthians are examples for us. And you might think, of course they're examples. They're examples of what not to do. Isn't that obvious? 
you know, it feels like every, every sermon I preach, every, every week we're having these face palm moments. We go, oh, look what they've done this time. Got to make sure we don't do that. There are examples of what not to do. And that's true. But more importantly, they are an example of God's grace to sinners. Because in spite of all of their problems, God can still say, you are still saints. You are still my holy people. Through Jesus, so are we. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace to us. I thank you that you have sent Jesus to rescue us, to give us eternal life, and to make us holy. I thank you that every believer in this room can grab onto that and know that we belong to you. I thank you that every believer in the world can say that. I thank you that my church in Bort can know that we are holy. I thank you that the church here in Kerrang can know that they are holy. Unite us in, in our shared identity and help us to rejoice in your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.